Welcome to the C3 Church Watson podcast. Our vision is to connect you to Jesus, develop you as a follower of Christ, and empower you to build the church. We hope you are blessed by this week's message. Everyone, everyone here and everyone online, welcome. We're enjoying the first month of spring, the warmer days, the longer days, the blossoms, the birds coming back to Canberra. It's glorious. But we're also enjoying a series on good work. And Tim started that series last week when he preached a brilliant message. And in it, he talked about the fact that work is not just an economic activity. It's far more than that. And I'll be talking more about that today. He also made the point that work is not a bad thing either. God has had two major appearances in human history, and both times... God worked. Work is not from the curse of sin and fall because Adam worked in the garden even before the curse. And Tim talked about Nehemiah rebuilding the walls and how he got himself into a position of being trustworthy at work, prayerful, focused, and doing excellent work. Now this morning, I want to talk to you about the stories we have about work and about the lies that can sometimes unwittingly get embedded in those stories, and stories that we believe, and stories that can completely color and transform how we go about work, how we think about work. Now, we know that lies are one of the main tools used by the enemy, the devil, against us. It's been this way since the beginning. In the Garden of Eden, he said, did God really say When Jesus was being tempted, it was, if you are the Son of God. And Jesus said it best in John 8, when he describes the devil, and he says, he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Lies embedded in the stories we believe about our life can be really, really powerful. To give you an example of how strong and powerful these stories are in our life, we're going to do a little thought experiment. Imagine I came up to you and I put before you a beautiful cupcake and I beckoned you to have it and then I went away. What do you think? How can you possibly make sense of what's just happened? Well, maybe you... (laughs) You come up with some stories. Primord's just a nice guy. He knew I was a little bit peckish, and he brought me a little snack. Or maybe you think, you know what? Primord wants a favor. He's trying to butter me up. He wants me to take that cupcake, and then I'll feel indebted to him. Whatever story you come up with, that story is going to determine your behavior. If you think it's just an act of hospitality... You're going to pick up that cupcake and eat it. But equally, if you think maybe you're being set up, you're not going to touch that cupcake. In the same way, the stories we believe about work have a massive impact, a gigantic impact on how we view work and how we turn up when we do work. Whether you ate the cupcake or not, the facts were the same. The only thing that was different was the story that you had about those cupcakes. 
Now let me just add a little aside in here, a side note. The same is true about the stories you believe about life and reality. They similarly have a massive, gigantic impact on how you view life and how you live your life. If you have not decided to follow Jesus as your Lord and King, if you have not decided to give everything that you have for the rest of your life to follow Jesus, because you think human life has just arisen from some cosmic freak accident, that reality is nothing more than atoms and cells, that when your biological existence ceases, that that's all there is to it, well, let me tell you, you have the wrong story, and it's affecting everything about your life. At the end of today's message, I'm going to give you the true story, and it's good news. And let me tell you that the true story will change everything for you in the most glorious way, just as it has for me. That's an Easter egg just for you for later on. So when it comes to these lies and stories we believe, I also want to tell you that there is a God in heaven. And he has given us truth. And that truth is the person, Jesus Christ. In John we read, John 14, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And in John 8, he says, if you hold on to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Today, we are going to look at two lies the enemy embeds into our story about work. Firstly, what is work? Have you told yourself a story that is based on a lie that you believe that what you are doing maybe is not really work? It can't be called real work. It's not nine to five in an office. Or maybe the work that you do is secular. It's not as important as what the pastor does or maybe as important as the prime minister. Now, when we look at what is work, Jewish theologians have gone to great extent to try to work out what is work because they were very keen to obey the fourth commandment, which we find in Exodus 20. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. Jewish theologians have defined work as any one of 39 categories of activity, including writing two letters down would be work. Carrying an object more than two meters in public would be work. I was even told in Israel on the Sabbath that elevators go up and down buildings and stop at every floor because it's okay to go in and out of an elevator. But if you press the button, that's work. And in fact, one of the main problems that Jesus had with the religious leaders of his time was they accused him of doing work on the Sabbath. What was that work? Jesus healed people. In John chapter 5, we read, So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. The rabbinic application 
of work was deeply flawed. But unfortunately, from all my reading and study and reflection, I don't think the Bible gives us a very clear-cut definition of what this work is. And so I'm going to be really brave, and I'm going to give you my thoughts on what I believe is a way to think about work as a Christian. Something that I am going to call biblical work, and that is something different from Sabbath work. So we find the first clue in, G in John chapter 5, where we read, in his defense, this is the verse we just read, Jesus said to them, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. So God has been working from creation all the way to this glorious spring day in Canberra. So we can see that if God is always at work, it can help us to define what biblical work is in terms of what God does. So then the question becomes, what does God do? Well, we can see in Scripture that God is love. And out of that love flows everything He does for the world. In 1 John 4, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This then is how God showed His love amongst us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. And again, that most famous scripture, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. So I think we're in a place where I think I can define that biblical work is patterned on what God does. And as a result, it is everything that we do out of love for others. Everything that we do out of love for others. Yes, this can include office work from nine to five, but it includes so much more. For the last season of my mother's life, she was bed bound, but she spent hours on the telephone encouraging so, so many people. And that for sure was biblical work. And when we consider others, God is an other to us, which means that biblical work can also be that which you give to God out of love. I don't know about you, but I can sometimes find the work of liturgies and the disciplines of the Christian life can be real work. For example, if all you can do is pray or fast or give or study or memorize scriptures and you do it out of a heart of love to God, that too is biblical work. Another perspective that we sometimes have is that the things we do for ourselves, somehow that's not biblical work. But it can be if the ultimate purpose and motivation of what we are doing is our love for others. When my mother in that bed <laughs> allowed her wounds to be treated and looked after herself in order that she might be able to continue to show love to others, that was biblical work. Biblical work can be done by a student. It can be done by a retiree. It can be done by a welfare beneficiary. It can be done in every circumstance of life that you find yourself in. So in summary, whatever you do for others out of love is biblical work. Whatever you do for God out of love is biblical work. Whatever you do for yourself can also be biblical work. Now I pray that my definition of biblical work as everything that we do out of love for others brings something of the truth of God to your story about how you view what it is you do every day. 
that in your everyday life, whatever it is, you are doing what God has created you to do, to love the world and give to the world. And that makes what you do just as important as what anyone else does, including the pastor or the prime minister. I want to be clear, though, that when I talk about these things, I'm not talking about abusive, unethical, or illegal situations and the like. I'm also not saying that where you are is the best place to be or whether you should stay or go. These are all very serious and worthy issues, but I'm not addressing them today. <laughs> this series that we are currently doing on work, then, is not just for public servants in office work from nine to five. It's for every follower of Jesus Christ. Because wherever you are and whatever you do, you can turn that into biblical work when you do it out of a heart of love for others. So the second question is, who's the boss? What is the lie embedded in your story about work that stops you believing that what you do, you do for God as an act of worship to Him? And as a result, if it is an act of worship, that it requires your wholehearted devotion. And as a result, every day you have the potential to change the world. I think you might have fallen off your seat or thought I'd fallen off the stage when I said work is worship. I mean, we've just had worship, right? It was beautiful in here, the music was playing, the seats are soft and comfy. Worship, work was the last thing on my mind. How is work worship? Well, there's a number of reasons for saying that, but one of the strongest is that the word often used in the Bible for work is the same word that's used for worship. Let me give you an example. Exodus 3, and God said, I will be with you, and this will be a sign to you that it is I who sent you. When you have brought your people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. That word worship is abad, and it's the same word used in Genesis 29 for work. Talking about Jacob, it says, Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. The commonality here is that they both relate to service. When you serve God, you worship God. When you worship God, you serve God. But people are made in the image of God too. So when you serve people, you are worshiping the God in whose image they are. And your boss at work, well, they are made in the image of God too. And when you serve them, you are worshiping the God in whose image they are made. In fact, if you look up your HR statement at work, it will probably say something like years of service. So the question becomes, if work is an act of worship, it must surely then deserve our full devotion. Colossians 3.22 says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eyes are on you to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for human masters since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. This is such a challenging scripture on so many levels. If Paul writes this to slaves, 
how much more does it apply to us today? That whatever we do, we should work with all our heart, as if we are working for the Lord and not human masters. And even further, if this is how we are to view our work, then how then should we be as employees? How then should we be as patients bedridden and in receipt of medical care? How then should we be as students? How then should we be as stay-at-home parents? I believe it all revolves around the question, who is the boss? If you can view the fact that whatever you do in life, you are doing to Jesus as if he is the boss, then you can do it as an act of worship to Jesus as you serve him. Last week, Tim talked about Nehemiah earning the trust of the king. If Jesus was your boss, would you turn up late to work? If Jesus was your boss, would you make out that you are busier than you really are? Would you give Jesus work that you're not proud of? Would you call in sick if you were not sick? Would you lie to Jesus? Would you steal from Jesus? Let me tell you that the most important thing you bring to work is you and who you are. This is going to be a surprise to many of you, but in almost every job, it is far more important who you are than what you know. For example, would you hire a highly skilled and experienced accountant who was mostly honest? Would you marry your potential spouse if their marriage vow said to mostly love you and to be faithful to you for the majority of the time? Would you want a surgeon who turns up for surgery mostly sober? <laughs> I want to talk about some of the ways we can bring dignity and godliness into your situation. I'm going to share some examples of how you can bring transformative, prophetic power of God into what you do. And it's so simple, anyone can do it. In my career, I chose to work in healthcare, partially because I wanted to help people in their disease and distress and help change the world. But what I found is that I did more good by changing and impacting the lives of people around me than I did through my career. I remember one example, a person I had very little to do with in another function who lived thousands of miles away in another continent. And to be honest, I hardly ever noticed them and I didn't even know their name properly. When they were leaving because they were laid off, they sent the email to everyone as you normally do. And it said, it said not much. And I sent a reply to this person. I said, goodbye and all the best. I know you will find many opportunities lie ahead of you that will make you look back and be glad. I always say, make your stumbling blocks into your stepping stones and you will reach higher. And they replied, thanks, Pramod. You've never steered me wrong, so we'll certainly keep aiming higher. So I knew something had happened there and I contacted this person and I found that unbeknownst to me, I'd had a huge impact on their life in so many areas. And what had I done? Well, nothing really. I had just simply been my positive, optimistic, and upbeat self. There are many teachers in my family, and I can tell you, a kind and encouraging word from a student means the world to a teacher. From my years in human services, I know that positive interactions with an unemployed beneficiary can lift an entire team of caseworkers for days, wherever you are. If you can do biblical work, do it as unto the Lord. And it has the ability to change the world more than the Prime Minister. 
So what is the lie embedded in your story about work that stops you from believing that what you do, you do for God as an act of worship to Him? And if it is an act of worship, that it requires your wholehearted devotion. And as a result, every day, you have the potential to change the world. That is the truth. Wherever you might be right now, in this building or online, whatever the biblical work that lies before you, whether as an employee or a patient, a student or anything else, God is speaking to you. He is calling you to do the most important work you can do. The same work that God has been doing from the beginning of time and continues to do to this day. The work of loving the world and giving yourself to the world. This is your spiritual worship of God. This is what you were created to be and to do with wholehearted devotion. And this is how you can be salt and light, changing the destiny of people forever. This is the truth about work that you need to embed into your story about work. For all of us, somewhere, our story about work has become corrupted by lies. Jesus said in John 8, if you hold on to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. My prayer for all of us this week has been this, that the Holy Spirit give you insight into your story about work, that the Holy Spirit enable you to see the the lies that are in that story, that the Holy Spirit animate God's truth, that you might know that truth about work and be set free. I'm going to pray for all of us soon, but after the service, the altar will be open. Please don't walk out the door if you need prayer for any area of your life, maybe to confess and repent of your sins or to seek God for your circumstances. You need the body of Christ, and the body of Christ needs you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you said if we hold your teaching, then we will know the truth, and the truth will set us free. We pray today that you help us to grasp the truth about work, to hold on to the truth about work, and to apply the truth about work, and to be set free in every dimension of our being to the greatest extent possible so that we may follow you and love you with everything that we are. Amen. Now, whether you are here or in person, I want to go back to my Easter egg from earlier on. The story you believe about life and reality has a massive, gigantic impact on how you view life and how you live life. If you are not following Jesus as your Lord and King, if you have not given everything you have for the rest of your life to follow Jesus, let me tell you, you have the wrong story. And it affects everything about you and everything about what you do. I want you to have the true story. And the true story is good news that will change everything for you in the most glorious way, just as it has changed it for me. The truth is that there is a God in heaven a God who loves you, a God who stands at the door of your heart and knocks. And He invites you to follow Him with everything you have for the rest of your life. So that you might find true forgiveness for your sins, healing, restoration, 
freedom and life to the fullest extent possible. And right here, right now, today, God is calling you. Jesus is standing at the door and knocking. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart, Hebrews says. And in Mark, Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. The way we do that here at C3 Watson is that while every eye is closed, we all pray this prayer together, here in the building or online. If you are not following Jesus today for whatever reason, I invite you, God invites you, to pray this prayer with us. And so with every eye closed and every head bowed, let us pray. Dear Lord Jesus, in the past I have not followed you, but from today onwards I want to follow you. Forgive me, Lord Jesus. I did wrong when I failed to follow you. Come into my heart and life. Become my King and Lord. Help me follow you and only you in every area of my life forever and ever. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope to see you in church again this weekend. To find out more about our church, find us online at c3churchwatson.com.au.